Quote, when you play, your brain lights up. This is where you could find joy for the rest of your life, so take note when it happens. You will not be able to play at everything you do, but when you do find an activity you can play at, an activity where your brain lights up, you have found the gold I was referring to. The best way to mine the gold in any brain is to play. Hey, it's Jay, and this is Roleplay Rescue. This quotation from ADD experts Edward Hallowell and John Ratey, quoted from their groundbreaking book, Delivered from Distraction, resonates strongly for me when it comes to role-playing games. Today, I want to talk about playing by the seat of your pants. If I have a manifesto for gaming, the biggest assertion I want to make is a simple one. Of all of the marvellous games available for us to enjoy in our spare time, the fantasy role-playing game has the greatest value as an infinite game. An infinite game is played for the purpose of continuing the play. When I first began playing Traveller, way back in the late 70s, early 80s, the group I was part of would meet most days and merely play. We'd carry on the adventure. Each session led to the next and then to another. We weren't playing a particular campaign arc, nor were we playing a module. We weren't counting down the sessions to the end of one person's tenure as referee, and we certainly weren't bothered about reaching greater levels of power or even wealth. We were merely playing. These days, it seems I can't get as far as proposing to play before someone will ask me the limits on the game. Which rule system? How many sessions? Which campaign book? Running from which level? How many players? The list of qualifying and limiting questions is seemingly endless. Why don't we just show up and play anymore? Maybe we feel like commitment is harder now that we're adults. Surely we all have barriers to getting to the literal or digital table. You probably have a family, a job, a partner, other commitments, sure, but that's not really the problem. We can choose to run an open table. We can accept that some sessions you won't be there, and we can even decide to run the game with varying game masters. But we don't. We've backed ourselves into an imaginary corner with clearly defined limits that take the potential for an ongoing infinite game and reduce it to a finite parcel. This or that set of rules. This many sessions that campaign book from level 3 to level 10 and only four regular players because we have come to believe that this is better. I am questioning that orthodoxy. I'd assert that we've stopped playing to find out what happens next for the sake of playing where we want to hang with friends and see where our shared fantasy will take us. When I think about what I hanker for the most from those early games, it's the attitude of turning up and playing. Whatever was on offer, that was fine. We'd roll with it. 
The play was a thing, and those games turned out to last the longest because they were infinitely extendable. We just kept playing. And it turns out that this is really good for our brains. Chapter 22 of Hallowell and Ratey's book, Delivered from Distraction, is entitled How to Find the Buried Treasures, Five Steps that Lead to Lasting Joy. Although the book is written for people with ADD, properly called ADHD, this chapter is applicable to all human beings. Hallowell's earlier book, published in 2002, The Childhood Roots of Adult Happiness, was where he began to formulate these ideas, and that wasn't aimed at ADD folk at all. The five steps proposed form a self-reinforcing upward spiralling loop, and they are as follows. Connect. Play. Practice. Mastery. Recognition. Quote, The starting point is the feeling of connectedness. This is the most important part of the cycle. You want to create this feeling of being part of something positive, something larger than yourself. Creating a connected life is the key to happiness and health. You can develop connectedness at any age. End quote. Many examples of connections we can forge are listed, but two stood out to me as a role player. Activities and groups, teams, organisations. I was also drawn to the ideas and information, but that might be a bit more of me responding as an educator and learner. I don't know. Activities we really love to do are a source of connection. Enter the role-playing game. Groups, teams, organisations, well, quote, be it a club or a team or a committee in an organisation you believe in, these kind of connections convey a feeling of purpose and being needed, end quote. That sounds a lot like the role of gaming groups, clubs and conventions in the lives of gamers, well, if you ask me. The second step in the cycle, play, is where the magic happens. Quote, The connected individual of any age naturally feels safe and secure enough to go to step two in the cycle, which is play. By play, I mean something deeply and profoundly formative, any activity in which you become imaginatively involved. The opposite of play is doing exactly what you are told. When you play, your brain lights up. This is where you could find joy for the rest of your life, so take note when it happens. You will not be able to play at everything you do, but when you do find an activity you can play at, an activity where your brain lights up, you have found the gold I was referring to. The best way to mine the gold in any brain is to play. When you play, you are likely to enter a state that one of the foremost researchers into happiness has named flow. In flow, you become one with what you are doing. You forget who you are and where you are. Your brain glows. The more activities you try, the more likely you are to find one where your imagination kicks in and you play and maybe even enter into flow. Once you find some activity in which you can play, you want to do it over and over again. This is called practice, which is step three. Practice that emerges out of play is practice that you want to do. You don't have to be hounded to do it. You want to do it. And here is where habits of discipline develop that will last for a lifetime. As you practice, you naturally achieve mastery, which is step four. By mastery, I do not mean that you are the best, just that you are getting better. This feeling of making progress is the key to self-esteem and confidence, as well as motivation. As you gain mastery, other people notice and value what you're doing. This is step five, recognition. 
Recognition not only consolidates the feelings of self-esteem and confidence that mastery engendered, it connects you to the people who have recognised you. This is the root of moral behaviour. As you can see, these five steps naturally generate many of the qualities we so dearly hope people will develop. Security, enthusiasm, a passion for some activity, discipline, confidence, self-esteem, motivation and moral behaviour. This cycle will develop talents and strengths as well as naturally provide the desire to achieve without resorting to fear or nagging as motivational tools. End quote. Most people will make the mistake of trying to start with step three, practice, and this simply won't work. We must begin with connection and then begin to play. The rest follows naturally. So this is my suggestion. We need to form and find groups we can connect to. Then we need to play, like we did as kids, becoming imaginatively involved, not just doing what we're told. With this in mind, I'm starting to play by the seat of my pants. What I mean is to turn up to planned sessions with people I feel connection with and play. Loose planning, lots of scope for discovery, letting the imagination get involved. Taking the experimental attitude with the Northern Isles and developing into playing a game in totally different ways was the most joyful thing I have done in about 35 years. Sticking my neck out and playing two sessions of Serene Dawn, taking the Mongoose Traveller campaign setting of the Third Imperium and the GURPS game system and then mashing them together, that was an amazing experience with play. Right now, to try and take this further, I have mashed together my love of GURPS, my solo toolkit and my desire to run an open table and I've begun to invite students at the school club to come and play in something slightly different. Here, the experiment is in playing with the core and stripped basics of dungeon fantasy role-playing game, which is powered by GURPS, and then blending that with the Alexandrian's recipe for running an open table. From the thinking I had done in early January about a GURPS Go kit and the idea behind the Hexengrad, these ideas you can read about on the blog at roleplayrescue.com, I was reflecting on how the teens generally seem to prefer the fantasy genre. It is, after all, the D&D club at school. And then, boom. How obvious. I could use the DFRPG set alongside Mook's quick character generation. I could use that really with ease. But hang on. I could also step up to using Doug Cole's excellent Delvers to Grow supplement with almost no fuss. I had been talking this up prior to the Delvers Kickstarter back in May last year, and then I'd forgotten about it. And then, another thought arrived. Add in the hexed index cards that GM Shadows mentioned, and you can buy them on Amazon, advertisers' cards for doing chemical diagrams or something. But with those hex cards, I could create 6 by 4 inch mini dungeon maps. In fact, Given how the goal is to have an open table, why not make this whole thing a multiple section dungeon by linking together several index cards to form a sort of geomorphic design? Welcome to the Explorer Society. Below the citadel lie entrances to the ancient tombs of the old ones. Explorers are being sent deep into the tombs to look for gold and other secrets, and this could easily be, for want of a better word, a mega dungeon. And later, 
when flipping the rear pages of the exploits book from Dungeon Fantasy Roleplaying Game, I saw the room key forms, including the random table forms, and yeah, another realisation. I could key the index card hex maps for sure, but I could set up random keys and make the whole exploration a truly emergent experience, just like I would if I was playing solo. An open table mega dungeon game built incrementally section by section on index card maps. Characters created quickly by offering choices to build a hero using the Delvers to grow templates. But I, I think I might need to transfer those choices to index cards for quickly putting them in front of the kids. Topping it off with random tables and lots of on-the-fly improv. And then, come to think of it, why not stick a hex crawl map on an index card and offer some hex crawling joy in the mix as well? sounds like fun to me. And that's the point. This is me playing, seeing where my creativity takes me. The next step is to simply practice this play and involve some players, and we'll see where that takes us. Along the way, I'm bound to get better at running this type of game, because practice makes progress, and eventually I'll master the form. Recognition will follow, or so the science suggests, and then we have deepened our connection as a group. What I'm suggesting is that our hobby becomes an outlet for finding deep and lasting joy. Harnessing the neuroscience, we can discover a means to enhance our lives, and then we can go repeat the process in other arenas. Connect, play, practice, mastery, recognition. But focus on steps one and two. Connect and play. The rest follows naturally. Game on. Hi, Che. This is Richard. I have been a listener for a while, and I'm sorry it's taken me this long to call in. But your two recent podcasts really got me. And the first one is your question about why do I roleplay? And that's a very, very good question. It really stopped me to think. And I guess like others that have said creativity, that certainly is true for me. There is also the social aspect to it that I really enjoy gaming with other people. But lately, it has been difficult to do so. But also, I've really discovered the enjoyment of playing solo. And um, so that's kind of going to bleed into another uh, call-in that I'm going to have from your last post uh, about the difficulty of actually dedicating to that. So thanks a lot. Enjoy your podcast. Love it. Hey, Richard. Welcome to the show. And thanks for calling in. I really appreciate it. It's great to hear from new people, you know, especially if you've been listening a while. Um, so yeah, I always want to encourage people to call in. I love emails. I love messages on social media, but there's nothing like having a sound clip to share. So thank you. And thanks that uh, your thoughts about like you know moving yourself towards solo and all of that other stuff. I'm really glad to hear it. I think as I've been talking about today, creativity is kind of where gaming is, right? And I think this idea of allowing ourselves to play is so so rich. So yeah, thank you for echoing really what I've been thinking about a lot. Anyway, I know you've got a bit more to say, so let's hear that. Hi, Jay. It's Richard again to address your second, your most recent podcast uh, about the difficulty and the anxiety about just sticking to role-playing. And I have to say, I man, I seriously uh, agree with you. I do the same thing. Uh, I collect 
role-playing games. And I really never put it together that that could be anxiety, but I definitely have, you know, anxiety over different things. And, uh, I definitely have an avoidance thing. So it makes perfect sense. Um, I've had a very, very difficult time dedicating myself to actually role-playing and especially solo role-playing. So this has given me a lot to thought and a lot of thought about this. And I think I will absolutely start setting times for myself. That's great. Sure. Appreciate it. Love the podcast as always. Bye-bye. Thanks Richard again. And I think this touches on something I was talking about earlier. Um, This idea of making connection, right? And I think the first thing we need to do is make a connection with ourselves. I think that, you know, sitting down and finding an activity that you really enjoy. So solo role playing is something I personally really enjoy. Making a connection with that alone is just fine. I think it's really rich. And as you kind of get into that, you can lose your self-consciousness a little bit and just muck about with it. Just play with it. You know, let see when the imagination rolls. And then what you'll find is you just steadily practice that you enjoy it. You practice it a bit more. You practice it a bit more. You become better at it. And over time, you know, you're going to develop some mastery. And I think then that overlaps back round to you recognizing yourself that you're having a good time doing this kind of stuff and you're enjoying playing in this way. And then perhaps others, you know, you can start talking about it. You might find some connections with others. And then you're able to step into a group and make another connection. And we're into that glorious upward spiral. So, again, Thank you, Richard, for connecting together the dots, I guess, um, helping me see this episode. Because I think the, your calls are the ones that sort of catalyze this whole process. Thanks, mate. Really great to hear from you. Now I've got a little bit from Down Under. Aloha, Che. It's Brian calling in on episode five, Feeling Stuck. I had meant to call last week after hearing the the early version and just forgot to put down my thoughts or record them. But the first thing is an observation that everything that you talked about, the the feeling stuck, some of the, you know, the imposter syndrome at times, I think it's very interesting that many of us who suffer from similar, I'd say, and sometimes, you know, ideas or maybe, you know, preconceived notions get into this hobby because I think... Not everybody, I'm sure, but most people could probably list off the same things that affect them. And I, I think definitely affect me when I'm preparing to do something. And that's everything from running something online to the when the conventions I did to just prepping for my son or even thinking about going to, you know, a new group. We've got some groups starting up here. So in some ways, it's maybe strange, but natural. Maybe we just get drawn to this. I mean, the same thing that excites us or entices us, maybe just happens to also play on those same preconceived notions in in that it requires the preparation, you know, it requires the amount of dedication, it requires in some ways to suspend those assumptions at times or either to work through them as you were talking about with uh, Byron Katie's resource, which I I had not been familiar with her, so that's actually good to find. Um, the second thing is I I think the the feeling stuck aspect and the, and the turning up are very related, and I've found that that's something that I've been working through and and trying to move from my initial reaction to getting back in is to as many people and and many people who are in (laughs) uh, amassing resources to learn about new game systems, settings, buying things, many of which I've 
you know, maybe read some, haven't read them all, haven't run them all, uh, before really kind of settling into a groove. And part of that gets to feeling there are more things you should run. And I think you've talked about this and you feel a little bit of guilt for it. But I think that when you touched on turning up to play and the ways to get yourself unstuck, I think those are the same things that help me, I guess, feel at ease about it, but really getting to the point, which is to me, turning up to play. And there's some preparation required, but also, I guess, the understanding that it's maybe the session and the experience that counts more than anything, at least for for the group at large. And I know this comes into play, as you've talked about, I would definitely play in a game run by someone who's interested in exploring a particular system, world, and and honestly, unless it was just a time consideration or something that I just did not feel I was interested in, and at this point, I don't know that I've I've come across that something that I'd say a hard no to, you know, or something that's objectionable. But again, I don't think we're talking about any of that. We're just talking about, you know, the normal kind of geeking out over system differences or canon differences, which again, to me, once you get to the table, you know, once you get to the game, it's really more about the experience. And at least I'm willing to do that. And I think there are others who are. I, I know that I've definitely met my share of folks who <laughs> are not, or if they're dragged into a different system. And this kind of goes back to kind of the first edition BX and, and everything else. I'm sure there's there's people today that if you talk to them into playing 5e or, or an older system and they only know 5e, would definitely uh, wax maybe not so eloquently on why the experience was bad. But I, I guess it kind of gets back to, as you said, the things to do to get you unstuck are maybe some of the same things that get you to turn up to play and, and help make it uh, a good experience. Cheers. Hey, Brian, great to hear from you. Thanks again. It's um, This is a good one. I, I feel like just having listened to it again, that we're sort of coming back to this idea of making connections. And I think turning up to play is about finding some people that you can connect to. And I'm beginning to think more and more and more that you want to start really simple and really loose. You just want to get to know each other. I think, you know, you need a, the session is there, the game is there in a way to just build connection between people. And I think this will then work through progression from, you know, those who are enjoying playing together might then start to explore deeper into the hobby and kind of get where I want to go, you know, into the real depths of like world building and role playing and everything else. But if I come back to what I've been doing at the school club, you know, the first thing is getting them to come along, just turn up, but then it's got to be easy. And this is where I think open table gaming is a real boon, you know, get them down and playing within 15 minutes, you know, the fastest you can do it really. And, and then just give them an experience of play because that's about them, A, finding an activity they'll enjoy and B, making connections to the people who are there too. And then if they like the people there and they're kind of enjoying the activity, you know what, they're going to come back. There will then begin to practice that activity and develop mastery towards that activity. And then obviously everyone around them starts to recognize that they're getting good at this and they're enjoying this. And the whole thing is an upward spiral. So I think, uh, you know, we're echoing here a theme which is sort of essentially resonating very loudly in this episode and i just thank you for it i know you've got a little bit more to say so let's hear that 
Hey, Che, it's Brian again. Uh, one last thing I just thought of, so it's related to, to feeling unstuck, but also turning up to play. Um, I remember in high school, we went through a pretty strong diplomacy, I guess, phase. Not really a phase, because most of us continued to play off and on and, and would still play, although it's been a while. But I remember the biggest barrier to getting the game together was the time and schedules and then having seven people, because we just... We played a few times short of seven. I don't want to get into the details, but uh, if, if those are not familiar with it, but we would get anyone. And I remember many weekends getting people who were probably lukewarm and trying to convince them to play. Now, some of them then said, yeah, I'm not going to play this again, or it wasn't really their cup of tea. But I remember that that was the most important thing. Well, you know, we didn't worry about preparation strategy. Some some people did. I mean, you know, how they'd approach it. But it was really getting everyone together to do that. And I, I know that for other board games or, or, you know, gaming events, we've done that. And it's just interesting, and I think it's obviously the nature of RPGs, that we have to worry so much about the preparation of essentially one person or mainly one person, the games master, a little bit on the characters. You know, if you're doing a campaign and you're, tr- and, and you're wanting them to get engaged or if you're, you're asking them to prepare things before just to save some time, you are asking something of them, um, which could easily be viewed as homework if you're busy. But it's, it's just interesting that that kind of, I don't want to say social contract, but can, can lead to, you know, as you put it, just, I guess, questioning yourself. So as the game master, because you have so much, not only do you have to complete it and complete it with, I, I, you know, I'd say in this case, you know, the best effort, but then you're worried about how it's received and it's not necessarily something that can be objectively evaluated. So it's just interesting to think about that, that um, I'd wonder sometimes that if you, if you prepared a game and you're like, I need, you know, four people, the group itself, I'm wondering how many groups are at the point like, hey, we got we got the group together that was like the biggest hurdle. And, and then once you get there and start playing, it's kind of, I don't want to say downhills in a bad way, but but it's it's all about the enjoyment at that part. Hello, my name is Trevor, and this message is in response to Turning Up to Play from January 7th, 2022. Like you, I am a scanner, or as they say in the clinic, ADHD. As such, structure is very important to me. I managed to run a sci-fi campaign for over a year. I didn't always feel ready. I often stressed over the minutia of a virtual tabletop like the visual experience. And no matter how crappy or how ill-prepared I was, the players often engaged the game and were happy. And they enjoyed it, and I forgot about my anxieties. Since becoming a father, that campaign has died because I didn't feel like I could keep up the production quality. Uh, which is nonsense. Uh, I highly suggest checking out the book Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering if you haven't already. I'm giving it a second read and I hope it can keep my priorities straight. Thanks for the show. Well, Trevor, you're most welcome and and thanks for calling in. I love it. Another new caller. Amazing. And what great timing um, because talking about um, ADD, ADHD, you know, and here I am talking about it today in an episode as well, learning from um, Professors Hallowell and Ratey. I, I just think it is an amazing, amazing coincidence. But I'm going to put that aside. Look, Robin's Laws to Good Game Mastering is a fine little book, and I've talked about it actually in past episodes. So, yep, I'd echo your um, your recommendation. 
And uh, yeah, I'm just glad that you're thinking about getting back to it. Here's the thing. And I don't know if you've listened to the first part of this episode, but I strongly recommend, you know, just make it chilled. Go for an open table. Go to the alexandrian.net online. Uh, go to Game Mastery 101 and find the section on the open table manifesto. Read through that stuff. It is absolute gold. And I wish you all the best. Please do call in again if you have any further thoughts. And yeah, great. Thank you, Trev. Game on. Hey, Trey, Jason here. Just listened to episode 6 of season 10, or episode 10 of season 6. I don't know, episode 10, 6. And I, I think you bring up some good points. I think true play definitely leads itself better to the open table. Yes, creating your own character is important, but I think if you have a core group that enjoys play, for bringing in new people, making that new character is important. But once you have that core group, I think having a having a set group of characters and then just, you know, whoever shows up plays whatever character is fine. You do lose things like secret knowledge. So people have secret plots or secret things going on. That's lost. But it's no different than a TV show or a comic book where occasionally that subplot fades in the background. So I don't think that's a showstopper at all. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, We'll see. Maybe I'll try to incorporate that in games in the future. Take care, my friend. And that's it for this week. Big thank you once again for showing up and listening. Thanks also to our callers today. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to call into the show via anchor.fm slash rpgrescue where you can click on the message button. I do especially enjoy hearing your questions. Finally, I'd like to say a big thank you to John from Tale of the Manticore for the theme music. I think it makes a big difference. Thank you, John. And that's it for this episode. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.